The Trumpet Daily Program begins right now. Today's world news, what it means, where it's taking us. I bring you the one and only possible message of world peace. This is a message of hope, tremendous hope. And he said unto me, you must prophesy again. The Trumpet Daily Program begins right now. Is President Biden? Uh, is President Biden? <laughs> okay. Uh, yes, yes. Yeah, it's it's good. That's a big story for us. They all know. That's why they're laughing so hard. There's uh, Peter Ducey uh, mistakenly saying <laughs> President O Biden, as in Barack Hussein Obama. Or as we like to say sometimes, Joe Obama. Seems like these things happen, what, like every every couple months? It, right there in the White House press briefing room. <laughs> the silent part is stated out loud. You're listening to Stephen Flurry, and this is the Trumpet Daily. We appreciate you joining us on today's show. Hard to believe we're already at the last show, sadly, the last show of this uh, this work week you can get to the usually you can get to the live stream we have had some uh, some troubles this week with the stream um, at rumble of course but uh, also even at our website here and there so uh, hopefully hopefully you're getting a smooth transition at trumpetdaily.com or if you go to the rumble channel just go to rumble.com forward slash trumpet daily and hopefully as i say <laughs> you can you can uh, watch live and of course, if there's ever any disruption with the live stream, don't forget to, uh, to go to either of those sites to get uh, the podcast as they're posted a couple of hours after the fact each day as well. Speaking of rumble, I noticed this morning, Tucker Carlson, he's, uh, he's got his new <coughs> TCN venture. Um, he's also still posting at X, and uh, now he's got the rumble channel, which is really nice to be able to scroll down, and rumble's even kind of reorganized uh, their channels to where you get uh, thumbnails of, uh, of everything in order. So that's nice to have just even for archives. I mentioned, by the way, the exchange that Tucker had with uh, Steve Bannon on, uh, I think this was on Wednesday's show, and uh, we had some time yesterday to go back and uh, to gather a few of those clips. Listen to what he says here about uh, the truth. This is clip uh, nine. I would just say two things. One, if you look carefully at almost any story, um, if you learn the facts about it, and then you compare that to what everyone is saying about it, you know, the spread is just enormous. Like it, the, the reality of what's happening bears literally no resemblance, and very often it's the mirror image of, of what everyone is saying. And not only are they not true, they're the inverse of the truth. And then you see a pattern, because it's unmistakable, that this is happening on purpose, and then you have to sort of wonder about why it's happening. Like, what is the point of all of this? And I haven't cracked that mystery. I've got some thoughts on it, but I don't really know. But all I know is I can't, you know, I can't participate in that. And I do think, last thing I'll say is that the key to fighting back is telling the truth. I just believe on a core level that the truth will set you free. That is absolutely right. If you tell the truth, you are freer inside. And if you tell the truth at scale, so is your country. And uh, as I said the other day, of course, that uh, last comment there, the truth setting you free. Jesus said that in John 8 and verse 32. John, the Gospel of John has a lot to say about truth and lies. 
Same chapter, John 8, verse 44. Read what it says there about the father of lies. But over in John 17, Christ said, Thy word is truth. This is the foundation. And in a world full of lies and distortions and exaggerations and, and phoniness and fakery, we better have the sure foundation of God's truth. Or we'll just blindly go along. Look at what 2 Corinthians 4, 4 says. And Revelation 12, 9, so much deception. Here again is Tucker in his exchange with, uh, with Bannon, clip 7. Institutions are comprised of people, and so what happens inside people determines the nature of the institution. And so I think it's darker and bigger than that. There's a spirit of dishonesty and destruction that's settled on the country. Why would you wreck your own country? You live here, and so do your kids and the grandchildren you hope to have. And, and yet every institution is being destroyed from within. You're seeing mass suicide across the West, not just in this country, but throughout the Anglosphere and a lot of Western Europe. And, like, what is that? You know, that's not normal. It's not politics. It's not ideology. It's not, they can't even articulate what they believe. They don't know what they believe. They're seized by a spirit of destruction and dishonesty. And so that really gets into the metaphysical at that point. You know, you're describing the spiritual realm, and that's something I'm hardly an expert on. But I, I'm, the, my only talent is just noticing things. And I do notice that. So how do you fight it? I think the, the communists, the radical communists, they do, it is more, <laughs> it's more strategic than maybe what he understands there, saying they don't even know what they want. I mean, they do. The dear leader knows what he wants. Fundamental transformation of the United States of America. And there is a real spirit world behind this demonic movement, for sure. Tucker talked about the spirit of dishonesty and destruction. I read through part of uh, Isaiah 59 just, just this morning in doctrines class. See, see how perfectly this describes our world, our society, our nation. It says here in Isaiah 59 verse 12, For our transgressions are multiplied before you, and our sins testify against us. For our transgressions are with us, and as for our iniquities, we know them. I mean, we're just drenched in sin. Total saturation point. Verse 13 says, In transgressing and lying against the eternal the, and departing away from our God, speaking oppression and revolt, conceiving, notice this, conceiving and uttering from the heart words of falsehoods, just, just coming up with lies deep within our hearts, conceiving, of these lies and falsehoods. Verse 14, it says, And judgment is turned away backward, and justice stands afar off. It says, For truth is fallen in the street, and equity cannot enter. Yes, verse 15 says, Yes, truth fails. And he that departs from evil makes himself a prey. It says, And the Lord saw it. And it displeased him that there was no judgment. That's our society. That, sadly, that's our nation today. Corruption, just running to mischief, conceiving of lies and falsehood, and then holding to that false narrative, even when it becomes so obvious 
Even even we still need to play along. Well, no, it's Joe Biden. He's in there. He's legitimate. He legitimately won. He's not a puppet. Well, there's a few there, there's a few more these days that are coming out and saying what we've had in uh, America under attack for a number of years. If you don't have this book yet, make sure you call the 800 number 1-866-930-3024. Laura Logan, who was on this show a few weeks ago, she, uh, she dropped another episode uh, of her ongoing series on uh, the January 6th hoax. Uh, she sat down with uh, Clay Higgins, I think his name is, who used to be in law enforcement before he then ran for Congress. He's in the House of Representatives now. But listen to this exchange between these two, clip 12. It's kind of where we are as a nation right now. Calls for the calm consideration and response to the oppression that we face from within. It's, it's quite nefarious. Tell me what you mean. What do we face as a nation? Generationally, we have allowed our federal law enforcement agencies to gradually become um, commanded by corrupted men. And they've been corrupted not so much by money, but by power. And that power really began uh, manifesting itself insidiously within the the FBI and the DOJ and our intelligence services since uh, 9-11, since the Patriot Act. We gave them great authorities and power those powers are no longer being being used to thwart terrorists. They're being used to oppress the, the individual rights and freedoms of regular Americans like me and like the citizens I've sworn to serve. So I have a problem with that. The counter to that would be these are not ordinary citizens. These are domestic terrorists because that's, I mean, it's, it's very clear from uh, Christopher Ray the letter that he wrote about parents going to school board meetings, right? That need to be investigated as uh, terrorists. You speak at a Moms for Liberty event today, you get targeted by the Anti-Defamation League or the Southern Poverty Law Center or someone like that as a domestic terrorist. And these organizations are working very closely with not just social media companies, but with law enforcement. Law enforcement at the federal level, just, just thoroughly corrupted, as these two bring out in their discussion. This is uh, from Conservative Treehouse, Sundance's outfit. (laughs) Title of the week, how about that? FBI investigator of Trump-Russia collusion sentenced to four years in prison for colluding with Russia. (laughs) What was it, the headline the other day, the Wall Street Journal? Just a, a classic case of projection. Here's this corrupt federal agent He's trying, to, he's trying to get Trump on Trump-Russia collusion while he himself is colluding with Russia. Sentenced to four years in prison. It says here, the irony and the hypocrisy is thick. Charles McGonigal, we've mentioned this story before, but uh, the sentencing was just yesterday, I guess. McGonigal was the FBI counterintelligence official in charge of the FBI New York field office McGonagall also tasked with investigating Russia collusion and Russian sanction violations. And we come to find out, this is from Politico, I think. He quotes Politico. McGonagall, who lives in New York, 
was separately charged in a federal court in D.C. with concealing at least $225,000 in cash he allegedly received from a former Albanian intelligence official while working for the FBI. He faces sentencing in that case on February 16th. So he's a spy, basically. He's a sellout. He's a traitor. And these are the kinds, just like Higgins explained in that soundbite, that there's people like this all through the deep state. Who, who first exposed this? Or at least who drew attention to it? It says here, a former top FBI counterintelligence official was ordered Thursday to spend over four years in prison for violating sanctions on Russia by going to work for a Russian oligarch seeking dirt on a wealthy rival after he finished his government career. You can't make this up. You just can't make this up. At the DOJ, a woman named Leslie Wolf, she's decided to leave the DOJ. She's, <laughs> she's had a, a career here in recent years of covering up the Biden crime fam, the Biden crimes, I should say, all of the crimes of the Biden crime family. And she's working over there at the Department of Justice. Listen to this from the New York Post. It says here, former, former Delaware assistant U.S. Attorney Leslie Wolf's quiet departure, she just now left the DOJ, emerged as, the, uh, as she appeared for a deposition with the House Judiciary Committee on Thursday, I think this was last week, following the Wednesday night House vote to formally authorize the impeachment inquiry into Joe Biden over his role in his son and brother's foreign business dealings. Wolf's starring role in the alleged Justice Department cover-up of the criminal investigation of, of alleged tax fraud and foreign lobbying violations is a significant part of the impeachment inquiry, with whistleblowers saying that she discouraged asking witnesses questions about the big guy or dad, referring to Joe Biden, claiming there was no specific criminality to that line of questioning. You just can't go there. And then you know about the, the whistleblowers that came forward and said, yeah, we were handcuffed. We were told that there was only so far that we could go. The two IRS agents who worked on the criminal investigation, Gary Shapley and Joseph Ziegler, alleged in prior testimony to House committees that Wolf, this is the woman who just left, probably wanting to get away from any kind of special counsel investigation, Wolf tipped off Hunter Biden's lawyers to investigative steps and forbade inqu inquiries into Joe Biden, even when communications mentioned him. Just don't go there. This woman's working for the Department of Justice, and she's covering up crimes. It's exactly what Representative Higgins said. Wolf allegedly instructed FBI agents in August 2020 to remove references to Joe Biden from a search warrant affidavit, writing, someone needs to redraft the affidavit. There should be nothing about political figure number one in there. In other words, we've got to cover up the crimes of the big guy. We've got to cover up the crimes of Joe Biden. And that's what you've heard all week. You know, this is all about Hunter now. Come on. There is no evidence. We played that for you earlier this week. No evidence that the big guy, Joe, is in any way connected. He's not, how did Hunter put it? He's not financially involved. 
Okay, well, how is he involved in other ways? They're carefully choosing their words. They have to. Because the screws are tightening a bit. So they have to be really careful. Here comes Hunter. He goes up to Capitol Hill, gives his big speech outside, and then basically thumbs his nose at the subpoena. He, he breaks the law. You, you can't do that if you're Peter Navarro or Steve Bannon. You get arrested. Donald Trump, Donald Trump Jr., I believe through what, three or four testimonies? He's been before committees something like 40 hours. What do you think Joe Scarborough would do if Don Jr. thumbs his nose at a subpoena, a congressional subpoena? I think Merrick Garland's in um, a bit of a tough position. But the the two-tiered system or standard of justice... It really is appalling and disgusting to watch. And, and truthfully, it's hard to believe that this is happening in the United States of America. The last, supposedly the last best hope for the world. Last night I, I finally got around to this documentary, M- Minneapolis Has Fallen. It starts with the, the George Floyd arrest. They made a saint out of him this career criminal drug addict that had taken so many drugs, so many illegal substances before he was even arrested in May of 2020, that he was about to die. He was complaining that he couldn't breathe even before he got out of the car and was on the ground and Chauvin was on his shoulder. Even before that, he said, I can't breathe. I can't breathe. This is, this is right after he's popping pills, he's doing drugs, he has fentanyl in his system. But just as I was saying in my class this morning, just to show you how a dishonest narrative, a, a, a lie, a hoax, can be so destructive. What did Tucker say? The spirit of dishonesty and destruction they make a saint. They carefully, they carefully construct this narrative using just certain angles of the footage and only a little bit of it. Certainly not. Certainly not none of the footage on uh, the officers. That, we've got to bury that for a few months. And there's only so much that a radical leftist judge can even, can even allow into the courtroom as well. It really is just sickening. How the whole world, the whole world made those officers, those four police officers, the villains. And and George Floyd, St. George Floyd, he was the poor victim. In and out of jail, getting arrested right and left, addicted to drugs, handing out out, uh, uh, dollars that weren't legitimate they were fake counterfeits using counterfeit money yeah you know just your ordinary resident in downtown minneapolis he gets arrested by a black officer think of it a black before chauvin even came along and he was resisting from start to finish and then what happened after well, there was sort of the struggle over the, the autopsy report and the Floyd family had to get their private, personal autopsy. 
And then everything was carefully constructed for the trial. But before that, the trial was like nine, ten months later. Before that, right around the time of the arrest and Floyd's death, Minneapolis goes up in flames. Minneapolis was burning. And the talking head said, you know, everything's pretty peaceful out here. I had never seen the footage of the evacuation of that third precinct. You know, the police station. These officers were told to stand down to evacuate. So here's this police station. They, they've got like a little museum quarter where all of these mementos and their history. And there's officers that had worked in there for 20, 30, 40 years. And they get the call from the communist mayor. Yeah, stand down. It's just a building. Just evacuate the third precinct. Surrender to the mob. Surrender to the riot. The rioters. That happened in a, a U.S. city. And uh, for a time, there were like 50 officers inside the compound. They were trapped. They couldn't get out because the, the, the electric gate wouldn't open. So they had to have a police cruiser bust through the gate as the rioters were descending upon the compound, the precinct. And they sped away. The police officers were fleeing. And some couldn't even fit into the cars. So they were running, literally running for their lives. Happened just three and a half years ago. And since that time, well, Minneapolis at the time, before anyone knew about St. Floyd, they had nearly 900 officers in the Minneapolis Police Department. Today it's something like 550. And of course we've moved on. We've lost about a third of our officers, but, uh, you know, never mind. The good old mayor and the, all the other good old boys will tell you crime is down. They'll just lie to you. They'll look you in the eye and they'll say, yeah, crime is down. We've lost all those officers, yes, but crime is down. That, that was just the city of Minneapolis. Look at what that, those four officers, it wasn't just Chauvin going away for 25 years in prison. Also, by the way, being stabbed in prison by a BLMer. All of these officers during that trial explaining that, look, the protocol, it's laid out there. It's right there in the manual for how to subdue someone who's resisting arrest. And there's actually an image that was showed on this documentary. It basically looked exactly like what Chauvin was doing. So, I mean, you could look at different angles and argue over whether Chauvin's knee was on the shoulder blade or on the neck or somewhere in between. But the fact remains, the fact remains, this was protocol for subduing someone who was obviously resisting arrest for something like 18 minutes and the arrest, as I say, initiated by a black officer. Well, they didn't really focus too much on that angle of the story because that doesn't fit the narrative. So just zoom in on Chauvin. But hey, he's gone away to prison for 20-some years, getting stabbed in the, in the cell. And then you've got the other guys. They're, they've been, in, the black officers, in prison for four and a half years. How about any of those rioters that torched, that ransacked, vandalized, 
and toward the police cruisers fleeing the scene, they were hurling bricks through windows of those police cars. Did the DOJ ever go after any of those rioters like they did the, the January 6th protesters? I mean, that riot, the one that took down the third precinct, that happened just uh, five, six, seven months before January 6th, and the DOJ still going after the Jan Sixers. Oh yeah, it's the biggest investigation in history for the DOJ. As I sat there watching Minneapolis has fallen, I thought to myself, this makes the January 6th thing seem like, well, what it was, a, just a protest, a peaceful protest that got a little messy in certain areas. Then you get into the, the FBI informants, the plants, the agents that were in the midst of it, the rubber bullets, the flashbangs. The Minneapolis Police Department couldn't, they couldn't do anything. No flashbangs at the rioters. No, no. No rubber bullets, no tear gas, none of that. Just clear out your office if you have time and then run for your life. And then after that, remember when so many of those, those really high profile elites from D.C., remember when they were saying, you know what? The Minneapolis Police Department also needs to be defunded. That's right. It, there were some voices calling for it to be completely disbanded. Think about that for a second. Just, let's just get rid of the police department entirely. How much dishonesty and destruction comes as a result of these false narratives? People just assuming, well, this must be, this must be the truth. AOC said so. You fast forward to the, the trial the following year for those four officers, all of them found guilty. And right before the trial, you had Maxine Waters taking to the streets of Minneapolis saying, We've got to, we better get convictions of murder or else. We need, a, we need an uprising here. And the judge saying, you know, that's what she says outside. That doesn't really affect what goes on inside. The courthouse the courthouse was surrounded with barbed wire and National Guardsmen. For what? Just in case there's any kind of an acquittal. Because then the city goes up in flames again, you see? Imagine, forget about the fact that they didn't even move the venue to try to give these guys a fair trial. What kind of jury is going to go into that environment and not be scared to death for venturing anywhere near acquittal. Can't do that. We gotta send these guys to prison because BLM says that's the justice here. That's the just, that's the just ending here. Send them off to prison, and they did. They certainly did. Listen to this again from uh, uh, Laura Logan's exchange with Clay Higgins last night, clip 13. There are American citizens who are sitting in jail, some of them for three years without a trial. People have gone to solitary confinement for misdemeanor charges, nonviolent misdemeanor charges. They're still arresting people. 
You expect people to go to an election and vote when they don't even have answers on their questions on the last election. They're still arresting Trump supporters, but not those rioters that destroyed a police station, a police precinct. There were, there were policemen and women stunned when the dispatcher said, it's kind of like, kind of like Benghazi. Nope, nope, nope. Stand down. Just, just take the fire. That's what the police department in Minneapolis was told, at least at the third precinct. Just stand down. Just evacuate. Just get out of there. Give the rioters space to riot. They got plenty of space. Just destroyed the place. Destroyed large, large sections of Minneapolis. And that was just the first of many cities that would go up in flames that, that summer. The summer of love. You talk about how destructive uh, a dishonest, deceitful narrative can be. How much devastation. It's happened for 6,000 years of human history. Once man was cut off from the tree of life, the tree of truth, then we've just, we've just been left to go it alone, to, to do what seems right in our own eyes. You probably saw the story last week, those, those university presidents that came in for a testimony in a House hearing of some kind, and one of the, the uh, Congress people uh, Stefanik, I think her name, Elise, Elise Stefanik from New York. She, uh, she asked them about, you know, calling for genocide of Jews on campus. She said, she said that, does that violate the school's code of conduct or rules regarding bullying or harassment? She couldn't even get a, a strong response. I think there were three ladies she could not get a strong response from any of them. Well, of course, of course this violates our code of conduct. Of course this is hate speech. Of course this is anti-Semitism. Couldn't say it. Couldn't say it because the spirit of Jew hatred is so strong in America's most prestigious universities. They, they've got to toe the line. The administrators, they've got to toe the line too, you see. Listen to the exchange between uh, Stefanik and the Harvard president. Her name's uh, Claudine Gay, clip 11. And Dr. Gay, at Harvard, does calling for the genocide of Jews violate Harvard's rules of bullying and harassment, yes or no? It can be, depending on the context. What's the context? Targeted as an individual, targeted as, at an individual. It's targeted at Jewish students, Jewish individuals. Do you understand your testimony is dehumanizing them? Do you understand that dehumanization is part of antisemitism? I will ask you one more time. Does calling for the genocide of Jews violate Harvard's rules of bullying and harassment, yes or no? Anti-Semitic rhetoric when it and crosses is it anti-Semitic rhetoric? Anti-Semitic rhetoric when it crosses into conduct that amounts to bullying, harassment, intimidation, that is actionable conduct, and we do take action. So the answer is yes, that calling for the genocide of Jews violates Harvard Code of Conduct, correct? 
Again, it depends on the context. Calling for the Jews to be killed, it just depends on the context, you see. Now, what Trump said at the ellipse, that, I mean, that def, I'm sure this woman would obviously agree that what Trump said, <laughs> go and peacefully support your senator. That incited violence, don't you know? It sure did. Trump's guilty. Trump, Jack Smith, he works for the Department of Justice. He works for the Department of Justice, and he's trying to nail Trump and to put him behind bars for hundreds of years for leading a violent insurrection. He didn't do it himself. He wasn't even there. But his words, it was his words that incited the violence. The violence on January 6th. Now that needs to be dealt with. I mean, that, we need to lower the, bl- the boom on those people. Because those are Trump supporters. No mercy for them. No context needed. In fact, they don't even need to say it. We know what they're thinking. We know they've got motives. They've got nefarious motives up here. And we want to put them behind bars. Just, just to keep people safe. Just to get these domestic terrorists out of the, out of the picture entirely. This is, this is the last best hope for the world. That woman, the president of Harvard, here she, ha- she can't even come out and denounce genocide of the Jews. And then this week, that was last week, I think last Friday, and then this week she's caught up in a plagiarism scandal. The president of Harvard, the president of Harvard, Harvard cheated on her own dissertation, her own paper. Can't make this up. And then Harvard as an institution. What do you suppose they did with that? Let's see. The, the testimony was a disaster. Uh, now we find out she's a liar and a cheat. Uh, what should we do with our public statement? That come out full throttle defense of the black president of Harvard. You can't, you can't denounce her. You can't get rid of her. For, for sure you can't. You just come out and support her. She hates Jews. She's pro-Hamas. She's, she's a pretend academic because she's a cheater. This says at the Washington Examiner, Harvard President Claudine Gay will stay in her role following a wave of backlash from last week's congressional hearing on campus anti-Semitism. Members of Harvard's university's faculty sent a letter to the Harvard Corporation, the university's governing body. Well, they're just all behind her, fully supportive. Our extensive deliberations affirm our confidence that President Gay is the right leader to help our community heal and to address the very serious societal issues we are facing. This is uh, regarding the plagiarism scandal. (coughs) With regard to President Gay's academic writings, the university became aware in late October of allegations regarding three articles At President Gay's request, the fellows promptly initiated an independent review by distinguished political scientists and conducted a review of her published work. On December 9, the fellows reviewed the results, uh, which revealed a few instances of inadequate citation 
While the analysis found no violation of Harvard's standards for research misconduct, President Gay is proactively requesting four corrections in two articles to insert citations and quotation marks, which means she copied it word for word, but she didn't put the quotation marks that were omitted from the original publications. You know why? They didn't even really give her a slap on the wrist because, well, she didn't mean to deceive. No. She didn't mean to lie. It was an innocent mistake. It, it was, I mean, the, the, the rioters that destroyed the precinct, they're just, they're just calling for social justice. They're not hurting anybody. I mean, MSNBC says, never mind the flames behind me. It's mostly peaceful. So their hearts, I mean, their hearts are so righteous and pure. As long as they get social justice, that's all we're, that's all we're asking for. Then you fast forward up to the trial date. Put barbed wire around the court. Get Maxine Waters and AOC on the ground calling for convictions or else. The last best hope for the world. It's pretty scary were it not for the fact that we know, <laughs> we know, just like Matthew 24 says, we know that Jesus Christ is going to return. He's actually going to cut short. He's going to cut short time and intervene in order to save mankind from just totally destroying himself. There's a, an article at the American Thinker What's the title of it? It's America's Last Stand, or that's the book. I guess they're reviewing this book, basically comparing 2024 to 1776. I mean, you hear the, you hear the communist left always talking about if Trump gets in there, uh, then that's the end of democracy. But here's a conservative author saying, yeah, if Trump doesn't get in there, that's it. That's the end. We, uh, <laughs> from the start of this year, it's in the first issue of our Trumpet magazine. Ready for war. Ready for war. That's been like a theme for us this year. What, what's the theme going to be like as we go into 2024? The war in 2024. Keep in mind, Revelation 12, 9, 12, 9, I should say, where it says Satan's deceived the whole world. And 2 Corinthians 4, where it says he's the God of this world. We better, we better be grounded in the truth of the Bible or we're going to be tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine, as it says over in Ephesians 4. You know what it says about the end-time Elijah, the one who came in the spirit of the end-time Elijah prophecy, that would be Herbert W. Armstrong. Read what it says in Malachi 2 and verse 6. It, said the law, it says the law of truth was in his mouth. He had the law of truth. He promoted, he aggressively promoted the law of truth. And that's why God has so many, so many wonderful and praiseworthy things to say about Mr. Armstrong in uh, those Elijah prophecies. When we come back, we've got another segment of uh, World Watch. And then, uh, of course, our Bible, our Bible study segment thereafter. You're listening to Stephen Flurry, and this is the Trumpet Daily, and we will be right back.
Daily News, Bible Prophecy. See the connection on The Trumpet Daily. Are you feeling overwhelmed by the flood of news and information? You need something to sift the news and bring you only what matters most. You need The Trumpet Daily. You also need something to help you understand not just what's happening now, but what will happen next. You need The Trumpet Daily. Only The Trumpet Daily accurately matches daily news to precise Bible prophecies. Because Bible prophecy is the only tool up to the task of sifting the news down to what's important and showing you what will happen next. Join host Stephen Flurry every weekday. Go to TrumpetDaily.com. A Chinese Coast Guard ship rammed into a Philippine supply ship in the South China Sea on December 10th, marking an escalation in China's belligerent aim to dominate the maritime region. The incident occurred near the Second Thomas Shoal, an area well within the Philippines' exclusive economic zone. China claims the Philippine ship purposely rammed into the Chinese ship and disregarded multiple warnings from the Chinese Coast Guard. But video footage and the fact that the incident took place in Philippine waters indicate China was the aggressor. As the United States weakens, China is growing bolder as it seeks to gain control of the South China Sea and other strategic waterways. These actions align with end-time Bible prophecy. To learn more about China's prophesied role in the end-time, read China is steering the world toward war. The number of regional conflicts across the globe will reach a 30-year high of at least 183 this year, the International Institute for Strategic Studies reported in its annual Armed Conflict Survey on December 6th. The wars in Gaza and Ukraine are only the most prominent in a world full of conflict. Major regional conflicts are also raging in Africa, Eurasia, and Latin America. Clashes between various Iran-backed groups and Western powers throughout the entire Middle East threaten to tear the region apart. In Eurasia, many conflicts are driven by territorial disputes. As tensions rise worldwide and the balance of power shifts, conflicts and wars are becoming more and more common. Jesus Christ prophesied that one of the trends in the lead-up to his return would be increasing wars and rumors of wars. To learn more about this important prophecy, read The Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse. Groups linked to Russia and China hacked into the most dangerous nuclear facility in the United Kingdom, The Guardian reported on December 4th. The Sellafield nuclear site has the largest store of plutonium on the planet and is a dump for nuclear waste from weapons and decades of atomic power generation. Breaches in the IT systems of Sellafield were first detected in 2015. Experts found sleeper malware, a software that lies in wait in systems to steal data or launch attacks. This means that some of Sellafield's most sensitive activities could have been compromised. Senior staff in Sellafield failed to report the problem to nuclear regulators for years in an apparent cover-up. The problem was only revealed when staff at an external site found they could access Sellafield's systems and reported it to the Office for Nuclear Regulation. Cyber espionage by Russia and China is one of the biggest threats to the UK, security officials have said. 
In recent years, cyber attacks against the United States, Britain, and their allies have increased. Dependence on technology is an often overlooked vulnerability in the West that will be exploited by nations such as Russia and China. To learn more about this very real danger, read China Hacks America and None Goes to Battle. To learn more about current world news and how it relates to Bible prophecy, please visit thetrumpet.com. So we'll continue on our study with uh, the subject of zeal. Left, left. Uh, sorry, yesterday we left off with the example of Phineas over in Numbers 25 when he took the javelin and he acted. He acted in faith and with some courage to remove the sin from the camp. This next uh, next section of scripture that we'll look at is in Revelation chapter three. This time, I, my toner, I need to replace my toner because the, the, I can hardly see my notes. For, and it's probably just as well because the scriptures aren't in my notes this time either. So I'll go to the Bible where the print's a little bit darker anyway. So I might just have to stay with scriptures and wing it besides that. But in Revelation 3, <clears throat> it has a lot to say about the problem with the Laodiceans, the message to Laodicea, it's from verse 14 on down to verse 22. And notice what it says, Revelation 3, 14 and 15, it says, And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. It says, I would that you were cold or hot. I wish you were one or the other, God says. But they, they weren't. They aren't. They're lukewarm. They're lukewarm. And God, he feels pretty strongly about someone who's in that sort of lukewarm, indifferent state of mind where there's just no fiery zeal. There's no red hot passion for righteous things, for good things. Verse 16 says, So then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew you out of my mouth. It's just impossible for someone like this to serve God, to help God, to help God's work. If you think about Herbert Armstrong, we've talked about some of that history in, in one of my classes this week. But if you think about the, the zeal he had for God, his wife too, she was half of his ministry, he said. And for a, for a long time, they were just observing the holy days of God without even knowing what the meaning or the purpose was behind it. They, Herbert Armstrong, his wife Loma, they kept the holy days, the annual holy days, where God says, yes, you're, we're going to be keeping these forever. And Mr. Armstrong just saw that in Scripture, and he said, all right, we've got to do it, Loma. Let's, let's start keeping it. And then there weren't even a few others to keep it with them until seven years in. And then for seven years they, later, they didn't know what, what it meant, as I say. Now that, that takes some zeal. Of, it takes a mindset of just saying, you know what? If God, it doesn't, I don't need to know all the ins and outs. I don't, I don't need to understand why. It's enough for me to know that God said do it, so I'm going to do it. That's faithful obedience. You can see why God thought so highly of him. 
and said that the law of truth was in his mouth. He, he led people out of sin and in the direction of righteousness. When the righteous rule, like the proverb says, the people rejoice. Wonderful history there. Tremendous fruits. There was a downturn in the 1970s, but not because of him, not because of Herbert Armstrong. It was because of Laodicean ministers, lukewarm ministers. They lost their zeal for God. Verse 17, it says, Because you say, I am rich and increase with goods and have need of nothing, and know not that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. The, the Laodiceans are characterized as as being blind and naked. They're just totally defenseless. They think they're rich. They think they've got it together. They think they're close to God. But what does God say? I counsel you to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that you may be rich and white raiment, that you may be clothed, and that the shame of your nakedness do not appear, and anoint your eyes with eyesalve, that you may see, pray for God to open your eyes, to see your, your dreadful spiritual condition. It says in verse 19, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Be zealous and repent. Show some zeal when it comes to putting away sin. Be like Phineas. Take on that mindset. As Malachi's message brings out, that word zealous, it comes from the Greek word zeo, which, uh, which means to boil. That's what my father addresses in, in Malachi's message. If you don't have that book, call our operators today and request one. 1-866-930-3024. But as he brings out in Malachi's message, the Laodiceans, they've lost their zeal. They've lost their zeal. It's so easy to lose and to deceive yourself in this world full of deception and false narratives. We can lose that red-hot zeal and actually fool ourselves and deceive ourselves into thinking, no, I, I, think, I'm, I'm just as, I think I'm just as hot as I've ever been, spiritually speaking. Verse 19, again, be zealous, therefore repent. Verse 20 says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. You've got to answer that knock. If God is knocking at the door, you've got to open it up and let him in and dine with God and the God family. Work on that relationship with the God family. Draw near to God. God is on fire. That's, that's a kind of fiery zeal that we need to gravitate toward, that we need to spend time around. Because the Bible says the more you draw near to God, the more the devil will flee from you. Verse 21, it says, To him that overcomes will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my Father in his throne. He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So that's the message. That's the message that God has for the people of Laodicea. We, in our latest Royal Vision magazine, 
Uh, I believe it's the January-February issue. But there's a, an article in it. The whole issue is wonderful. Just talking about becoming a deeper thinker. There's an article my father has on Selah and how it means to stop and think. I've touched on this before. Uh, but there's also a pretty lengthy article in there about uh, coming out or putting away Laodiceanism, putting away that lukewarm spirit, and really building that kind of fiery zeal for, for God, for God and His work, for God and His church. I don't know if I have time to quickly get through this, but 2 Corinthians 7 and verse 10, it says, Godly sorrow works repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of this world works death. Godly sorrow, quite unlike worldly sorrow, woe is me sorrow, godly sorrow actually produces change. Notice what change it produces in our character. Verse 11 says, For behold, this selfsame thing, that you sorrowed after a godly sort, what carefulness it wrought in you. They became more careful, the brethren of God in Corinth. The, what clearing of yourselves. I mean, it cleared the air. It liberated them. It, it, it set them free from captivity, the captivity of sin. What indignation, what fear, what vehement desire, and what zeal, yes, what revenge. All of a sudden, they... They took on the attitude of Phineas, and they really went after the sin with vehement zeal. Repentance, if it's true repentance, it will help you to develop that kind of fiery approach to removing sin from the camp and to preserving that peaceful, righteous atmosphere. That's all we have time for on today's show. You're listening to Stephen Flurry, and this is the Trumpet Daily. We thank you for joining us on today's show. In some cases, we thank you for joining us all week, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>